Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Today, I want to share with you something that that's crucial to understanding who you are in Christ. And that it's based not on feelings, because feelings will always sell you short, but that it's based on God's word and actually based on what God himself said. And one of the things that everybody at some point feels and needs is just basic assurance of their salvation. So let's start with the text. In 1 John chapter 5, beginning with verse 10. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his Son. And this is what God has testified. So here it is. This is the testimony from God himself. He has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. That's the testimony from God himself. He has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life, eternal life. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. It is that simple. God said, here's the truth. And I have written this to tell you so that you will know that this is the truth. If you have Jesus, you have eternal life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have eternal life. Period. End of story. That's it. And and so if I'm going to have assurance of my salvation, I have to begin with the truth. Now, I I want us to look at something that really runs all through the New Testament, and that is just the simple subject of assurance. Knowing that you are God's child and knowing that you belong to God and knowing that when, not if, but when you die, you go to heaven. I want you to know that. And it always amazes me how many people struggle with this, but then again, it really doesn't because I struggled with it. I mean, I think everybody struggles with it. Um, And we shouldn't be amazed. I I mean, between the time I was about age eight up until I was about 20 years old, I probably prayed the sinner's prayer at least 5,000 times. 
Well, that's an exaggeration. It was 4,853 times. But uh, I prayed it. Every time I heard a sermon, I prayed it. Every time I read a book, every time I, li- I mean, I was just praying it all the time. A- and uh, I would pray in my seat. I would pray at youth camps. I would pray at college retreats and at revivals. I mean, I, I grew up in one of those churches that you would go forward and you would shake the hand of the pastor. And that was kind of like sealing the deal was the handshake with the pastor. So, oh, I'm saved. He shook my hand on it. And, uh, and I, and I got baptized more than once. Maybe that's true of you too, because you weren't sure if the first one, you were just getting wet. You see, I was living for feelings, not facts. And so often I would not feel like I was saved. So often I felt I didn't really mean it the first time. Or maybe God changed his mind. So I had to move from feelings to the facts. So I do understand this struggle. I've been there. And and here's what I do know. I know that a person will never Take off spiritually until you are assured of God's love for you. Until you are absolutely assured of God's love for you, you're going to be stalled in your faith, stalled in your walk with the Lord. When I was in high school and college, I I loved rappelling down the side of mountains. I even went to a week of training in some mountains outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania uh, when I was 15 years old. Later, I actually taught people how to do this. And uh, rappelling was very different from uh, rock or cliff climbing. I never got up the nerve to try that free climbing. Uh, I thought you just had to be a little mentally off to do that. Uh, (laughs) Just kidding. Those of you who do that. Uh, Rappelling was very different for me because it had some safety features. And, and I had confidence in the safety features. And, uh, but I want to tell you, you know, you, you'd have on that uh, harness. And back in the day, we actually made our own harness out of a piece of rope. We didn't buy those things. You had to make it. <clears throat> and I had confidence in the calipers. I had confidence in the rope. I had confidence in the guy at the bottom of the mountain who was holding my safety line. And, uh, and when you had all those safety things in, feature, uh, in place... There was nothing like that feeling when you started walking back, backwards with the, the, the cliff right here and you started walking backwards and then started leaning out with nothing but that rope and, and then eventually you were just kind of pushed straight out and your feet were straight forward on the side of the mountain. There, there was just nothing like that feeling when you first, you know, did I do everything right? Is everything tied right? Uh, do I really trust that guy at the bottom or not? And, uh, you know, you just had a lot of that. But once you had all that assurance in place, man, there was just nothing like that to lean back out and then to repel down the mountain. And it, but it had its dangers. I remember in the 12th grade, one of my friends who was also a 12th grader, uh, he, was, he would do repelling, but he made a crucial mistake. He went by himself. You just don't ever do that. And he misjudged his rope and didn't have a safety guy at the bottom. And his rope wound up being too short. And so he was kind of dangling there uh, about 30 or 40 feet above a little cliff 
a little jut out of some rocks. So he knew he couldn't go back up. It was just too far. And so he just let go of the rope and hit, hit that ledge. But when he hit the ledge, he hit with such force that the ledge collapsed. And then he fell 75 feet to his death. Absolutely senseless. Because he broke all the rules. And, but I didn't let that stop me because I had confidence in the safety. I was willing to take the risk because I had confidence in the rules of safety and that I knew them. It's kind of like faith. I had faith in the process and God wants you to have faith in his process. He wants you to have confidence so that when your faith requires you to lean out over the ledge, that you have confidence to do that, that he's got you, he's got your back. He's protecting you. He's watching over you. And you see, when you, until you have this spiritual confidence, until you're absolutely confident in his love and his commitment to you, then here's the deal. There are sacrifices you will never make. There are prayers you'll never pray. And there are risks that you'll never take because you lack that confidence. I mean, there's no way I'm going to lean over the side of a mountain unless I had total confidence in everything being in place. So you got to have confidence that God's got everything in place and God knows what he's doing. And his testimony is truth, then you'll take risk. You'll pray risky prayers. You'll trust God on risky things because really it's no risk at all. The reason that some of us are weak in our ability to say no to sin is because we're truly unsure of God's presence in our life. Or maybe you think this, the reason you're weak in your ability to say no to sin is that you're weak in your understanding of Jesus saying yes towards you. That when you said, Jesus, will you come into my life? And Jesus said, yes, and you're unsure of that, then you become weak in knowing how to say no to sin. Well, I've got good news for you. That theme of assurance is dominant in the teachings of Jesus, especially his last teaching time with his apostles before he went to the cross. One thing is clear. Jesus does not want you to be unclear about your status before him. And there are a lot of different ways that he said this. Let me, let me just give you a couple of them. In John 15, 9, it says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Well, that's, that's assurance. That's confidence. The Father loves me, and it is that exact same kind of love that I love you, and you can trust it. You can abide in that. You can live in that. You can have confidence in that rope. You can have confidence in that assurance. 
You see, does Jesus sit around wondering if the Father loves him? <laughs> Absolutely not. So why do we? Do you want your kids to wonder whether you are committed to them or not? Whether you love them or not? No, you want them to know how much you love them. And you are absolutely committed to them. Then look at what uh, he said in John 14, 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I certainly didn't want my kids to feel like orphans. I wanted them to know that they had two parents that absolutely loved them, that were committed to them, and that we would do everything we could to protect them. But if you're unsure about your security in God, you're going to feel like a spiritual orphan. Now, at the beginning of John 14, Jesus told them that he was about to leave them. And he knew that they were going to be afraid. He understood them. And he knew that they were going to go through a lot of trouble on his behalf after he's gone. So here's what he said to them in John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. I'm, I'm reading out of the, uh, the uh, English Standard Version. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. Now, here's the image I want you to see from Jesus's words. Back in Jesus's day, when a young man asked a woman, a lady, a young lady to marry him and they became engaged. The first thing that he did was to go back to his father's house and start building a room or series of room to prepare a place for his bride. So when Jesus said this, that made total sense to them. Especially when you realize that you and I as God's people, <clears throat> we're going to be married to Jesus when we go to heaven. There's going to be a great festival. And so we're the bride of Christ. So it's kind of like when you pray to receive Christ in your life, you were saying to him, I'm, I'm going to become your fiance. And Jesus said, well, I'm going to go to my father's house and I'm going to start preparing a room for you for when we get married. And then when you leave this world, when you pass away from this life, you go to heaven Jesus has already prepared a place for you and you become his bride. So that picture that he painted made total sense to the Jews when he said those things. And hopefully it makes more sense to you now. He's asked you to, he's asked you to let him into your heart. He's knocked at the door of your heart and he said, if you open the door, I'm gonna come in. Now I'm going to go and prepare a place for you so that we can be together for eternity. So Jesus does not want you to doubt. Jesus wants you to be without doubt as to your status with him. He wants you to abide in that confidence. 
Because only when you abide or live in and have confidence in that truth, only then can you begin to grow. So the first step we've got to take is, am I going to have confidence in this testimony? Am I going to believe it or not? Am I going to take God at his word when he says, if anybody accepts my son, he belongs to me. In 1 John 5, 11, the Bible says, and this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. Is that truth or not? Do you believe it or not? It's the words of Jesus. I mean, the words of the father, the creator of the universe. And then he goes on to say, he says, now, if you claim you have no sin, basically saying, I don't need a savior. I don't need Jesus. He said, if you claim you have no sin, well, guess what? You're only fooling yourself. You're not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive us. He'll forgive our sins. And he'll cleanse us from all wickedness. And if we claim we have not sinned, we're actually calling God a liar and are showing that his word has no place in our heart. God, I've not sinned. I don't need Jesus. I'm a good person. And usually when we say something like that, I'm a good person, we're we're doing it on the comparison with somebody else. If you go look at that person, I'm a lot better than them. But here's what God says to that. Yeah, but you don't understand the person I'm comparing you to is my son. How do you measure up to him? First John 1, 9, the Christian bar of soap. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful. He is faithful and he is just and he will forgive us. He'll forgive us our sins and he'll cleanse us from all wickedness. If, I mean, we, we actually have the easy part. If we confess, if we trust, he does all the rest. In 1 John 2, 1 and, 1 and 2, it says, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, and guess what? You probably are. You have an advocate who pleads your case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. So here's what he's saying to us. Now, when you do mess up as a believer, and usually it's as a believer, when we mess up, that's when we start questioning our salvation. That's when we struggle with assurance. But he says to us, but look, if you do mess up, my son is going to speak on your behalf. And God the Father always listens to his son. So his son goes to the father and he says, Father, Don did it again. But my death on the cross is still enough. 
my death is still enough. There's no sin that you can commit that Jesus would say, I can't cover that one. Except to reject him. That's the only sin that won't be forgiven. Is to reject him. Romans 4, 5 But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Listen to all these words of assurance, all these words of confidence that the Father wants you to understand and know. And and you see, once I start believing this, then hopefully it's going to start to manifest itself in my life. So that's the question. Is there any manifestation? Is there any evidence in my testimony in my life that I really believe this stuff? Let's look at 1 John 5 again. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his son. And this is what God has testified. This is what God has said. He, God, has given us... Let me put it in this way. This is God talking to you. I have given you eternal life. And this life is in my son. And whoever has my son has life, eternal life. And whoever does not have my son does not have life. There is no plan B. There is no second option. There is no back door, side door, or secret door. There's only one door. And that's my son. In 1 John 2, it says, if we, it says we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commands. That, so that gives evidence. It, that's not what saves you, but that gives evidence of your salvation. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, and the main commandment from God is, trust my son, accept my son, that person is a liar and not living in the truth. And those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. And this is how we know we are living in him. Here it is. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. That's not what saves you, but rather that's a consequence of your salvation. That's not what gives you salvation. That's what shows your salvation. So don't base your assurance on feelings. Base your assurance on his finished work. There's nothing left for Jesus to do to save you. The feeling that you are saved, you're saved and are close to God is actually a fruit of the gospel. And it's not based on your assurance. 
The finished work of Christ is the basis of your assurance. So how do I know that I'm saved? Because Jesus died on the cross. Because Jesus rose from the dead. Because Jesus opened, came into my life when I opened the door to him. Because he said he would. Now let me give you a gospel secret. Listen carefully to this. Those who get better spiritually are those who realize that God's acceptance of them is not based on them getting better. Let me say that again. Those who get better spiritually in their walk with Jesus are those who realize that God's acceptance of them is not based on them getting better. It's based on what Jesus has done. So me getting better and growing as a believer is a result of, not causes, my salvation. God does love you. And because he loves you, he has a plan, he has a purpose for your life. But you and I, unfortunately, are sinful. And because you and I are sinful, we're separated from God. And, and because we're separated from God, we cannot know his love. We cannot know his purpose. We cannot know his plan for us. That's why Jesus Christ, who is God's only plan to deal with our sin, that's why he came. Jesus Christ is God's only plan to deal with your sin and my sin. But here's the kicker. We must individually accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And only then can I truly experience eternal life, can I truly understand God's purpose and God's plan for my life. Only then can I have assurance? There's some of you today, you don't need to be saved again. You just need reassurance that you are saved. Just take God at his word. So instead of asking Jesus to come into your life again, I mean, you know what that's like? That's like you inviting some friends over to the house and they knock at the door and they're coming for dinner and you open the door and say, hey, come on in. And they sit down and you're sitting there eating and you look at them and say, hey, why don't you come on in? And they're staring at you a little bit. And then a few minutes later, you say, hey, uh, we want you to come on in and sit down and eat dinner with us. And they're halfway through their meal and you look at them again and you say, hey, uh, we'd love for you to come in. And, you know, they're starting to really worry about you at that point. Wondering like, what, what is wrong with this person? Uh, that's how a lot of you treat Jesus. He's there in your life and you keep asking him. To, I did that for a long time. When what I really needed was just assurance. And where I found, found my assurance was the word of God. Here's what I've done for you, Don. And it's not going to go away. But maybe some of you have never done that to begin with. 
and you have been so busy trying to make yourself better, hoping that God would accept you by being better, that you forgot that first step. You'll never be good enough to be accepted by God. But he chooses to accept you because of his son, Jesus. So some of you, you need to individually, for the first time, accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. Now, uh, during the time the band's going to come out, I'm going to just stand here at the front. If you need some reassurance, you know you're saved, you think you're saved, but you just want to be reassured, come and let me pray with you, or you just come in at the front and just thank the Lord. But if you want to make that decision for the very first time, Jesus come into my life, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I promise you, he will do his part. So let's pray.